You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Now picking up for part two of the Girls on the Grid podcast with Rachel Eggleston. Now we recorded this before Townsville and fast forward to when you listen to this now, Eggleston Motorsport had a pretty epic weekend in Townsville, getting the round win, a race win, a one-two on the Saturday and yeah, Rachel was just so stoked and just keep in mind listening to this that this was recorded before the event um, and I was just, you know, just really stoked that the whole team had an awesome weekend. I was up there making content for them and all around it was just a lot of fun. The vibe in the team was awesome. But in the second episode, we dive into a little bit more of understanding how Rachel and her team run Eggleston Motorsport, how they perform at the top level. And yeah, it's just a really cool insight to what it takes to be at the top. So We'll dive straight into this episode. This is Rachel Eggleston on the Girls on the Grid podcast. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back and do that before you listen to this episode. And yeah, let's go. What day is it? It's Monday. It's Monday before a race week. (laughs) And when we were trying to, I don't even know. I don't know what day it is. I just know that in two days I need to catch a plane. You said when we were trying to plan this time to catch up, do the pod, you were like, oh, Monday, Tuesday will be good because the trucks will have left for Townsville. There'll be less things to worry about. And, and then this- I rescheduled three times. <laughs> you did, you did. But lucky I was doing nothing else either because I've got a race week this weekend. So try and, you know, try and find those designated times to just sort of switch off a little bit before you go and kill yourself for yep. like, absolutely wreck yourself for however many, five, six days, whatever it is. But race week this week. So this yep. episode will come out the Monday after Townsville. Yep. And I'm praying to the genie gods that it's a super successful weekend and God, everything is great. Right. And three Eggleston cars on the podium. Yes, race wins. It out. Yep. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. If you thought two on the podium was going to be good, wait for three. Oh, yes. I can't even imagine that. I'd but, be a blubbering mess. So let's hope it happens. I would come and hold a podcast oh. mic like, right I wouldn't be able to talk. You can try. <laughs> if you're here at the end of this episode, just like... <laughs> like tears and, and mumbling. It's probably just Rachel after a good weekend. Uh, Talk to me about a race week or leading yep. into a race week, the logistics of packing five cars to go 3,000 kilometres up north. Yep. It's a big job, especially when you test three days before you have to pack oh, the truck. That was, convenient. Well, that was fabulous. You timed that well. Well, good old wind and weather tends to ruin your plans. Mm. We had planned on testing at the start of June anyway. That's what you've got to do. Um, so it was a tight turnaround. Um, but we, you know, it's, it's a big job. We got two semis to pack. Um, yeah, all the cars, all the gear, everything. In my control freak nature, I have a very detailed checklist. So three pages long or whatever it is. So realistically, everybody's pretty well versed on what needs to be packed and how it works. Um, and I'm the one that just makes sure everything goes in that needs to go in. And I've got to see it with my own eyes. I only tick it off if I know it's physically gone in the truck. Because um, you know, when you're going somewhere like Townsville, there's no coming back from there. From there. If you've forgotten something, it ain't. It's not like no you're one's in coming Winton. to pick it up. No. It's not like you're in Winton where you can just send someone no. three hours down the road. So you've got to be so diligent with that stuff. Um, and that's why, I'm, yeah, the boys probably get sick of me nagging them. Have you put this in? Is this done? They're like, yes. But I just, yeah, 
control freak in me. I know if we get there, especially running the amount of cars that we run, um, you know, you have to have absolutely everything you need on the ground. Otherwise, it makes life pretty difficult. Do you have five, five times the amount of spares for every car? No, not really. You just have to carry, um, you know, like a lot of our cars look the same, you know, with the mm. sign writing and stuff. Yep. And we, we do that for a bit of a reason too, so that you, all your spares can be wrapped in the same colours and then you can just put on each person's sponsor stickers and stuff should you need to replace panels. Um, just don't replace panels. It's well, fine. that'd be great. Townsville's but not Townsville known to be dangerous. Not. No, it's fine. The place to, uh, yeah. Did you watch the, the NASCAR race this morning? Unreal. Unbelievable. I know. I, that's just popped back into my brain. It, it blew my brain apart for about an hour this morning. But, like, it was shunt city. I know. But those cars are built like tanks. I know. How I many cars it. did they go into the wall, just get pulled out, and then they're like third again? I'm like, what that. is happening? They just reverse out and just yeah. keep going. Like that, the if monster, only. The monster car went in that deep and got stuck, and then it was third again, and then it went in the wall again. I know. Why can't we, why can't we have that? Trust me, I also wish we did because, oh. yeah, these cars cost Not a fortune fix. Not only does it <laughs> make the cost less, it makes the racing better. If, oh, you've, got, if you've got, say, Cooper Murray goes in the fence on lap one, pulls him out. He keeps going. He keeps going and he can come through to first or tenth or whatever it is. I like, agree. I think what that, you know, I, when I was watching that this morning too, that so race, good. I watch it thinking... Did it go for like five hours or was that just really me? long. Yes, it did. <laughs> uh, I was a bit surprised by how long it went for. But... When I, what I was thinking was, America, like how they do it, it's all about the show. Mm. That's all that matters. Like, it's the show. They don't care. No one's worried about what's underneath the car, what type of upright they've got, what about this, what about... No one cares about that stuff. Mm. They just watch the racing, the biff and the barge, all of that kind of stuff. That's what people love. Seems I the think, drivers have a go too. Oh, absolutely. But I think here we get to... Everything's just overcomplicated. We've overcomplicated stuff costs everybody so much money um, to repair the cars and all that kind of stuff where it should be more about the show. The product. The average Joe Blow sitting in the in the pub. Grandstand <laughs> or pub or wherever at the race meeting, they don't care what's mm. underneath like they don't know what's underneath the car majority of them and they really don't care. If the racing's great, that's it. That's all they need. That's what they're there for. Isn't so that what I think Gen 3 was supposed to do? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know what, what we ended up with. No. Um, I will admit the racing's been better this year, but it's just like no driver can do anything because they're too shit scared that it's going to blow their car apart. Well, or. yeah, and that's, you know, it's... I mean, you're always going to have teething problems at the start of bringing of any course. new car in, but I just, yeah, I think in Australia, full stop, when you look at other market stuff, I think it's overcomplicated. Mm. And the cost involved, you know, that's a big thing too in Super 2 and what we do is the probably the most difficult part to manage is the damage side of things. Because at the end of the day, the drivers are paying a lot of money to drive the car, but they also have to have extra money or, you know, some th sort of thing in place should they damage it. Um, and from a team perspective, you know, we've got half million dollar investments that we're letting people drive, but we have to make sure that you know, we're covered from our side that we don't get left with an investment that we can't, that can't mm. be used. So it's a really, yeah, it's a really tricky thing. I just think we don't need, it's all cool from an engineering perspective and all that, I get that, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day to the core racing fan. They don't, mm. they don't know. Mm.
And they probably don't care. So long as the racing's good. Now, what I'd say a lot of people are interested in is that that massive big shuffle at the end of last year where the Gen 2 cars had to get shuffled down into Super 2. Yep. And there was a lot of talk and a lot of whinge and a lot of this and that, or Super 2 is going to have nothing, there's yep. going to be no cars because all the Super cars are selling them off to collectors yep. and all that sort of nightmare. How did yep. you guys navigate that? Obviously, you already had the Super 3 cars, that yep. was fine. But that Super 2 shuffle down from, you know, I think Triple Eight sold both their cars yep. to someone, so they yep. were gone. Yep. And then I think the Chaz car was has already gone, and yeah, it just it just seemed like a nightmare from the outside. It was pretty concerning from a team perspective, um, because it's not like you could have just built a Gen Two car. No, you're not you? allowed to because mm. it, you, the car has to do a certain amount of rounds in main series before it's eligible for Super Two. So that was never an option. Um, it, it became a bit of a different scenario because the collector. Um, the collectors purchasing cars had become a lot more prevalent than what it ever had been. Back when we changed from um, the blueprint car or the VE that we had into the cough car, which was the VE to the VF, like that just wasn't even a thing. Um, the collectors, you know, there might have been a few, but never, never like it is now. Um, I think people have realised over the years, you know, the last five, seven years, how good an investment a quality supercar is one it's with history, results, um, yeah. and that's where that's kind of come from. So, it, but it, but it also on the flip side, like it, it made it really hard for teams because, you know, you might do a deal with a team or say right, and they'd say right, oh, this is how much we want the car, no problems, we're in, and then a collector walks in, oh, I'll just give you another fifty grand, another hundred grand. Now, as a business, it's not viable for us to turn around and go. Well, we'll put in an extra 50. Like, it's not, mm. you can't do that. The You've already sold, sold your prices off to drivers. Correct, and you can't. It's just in, in no way feasible to do that. So, unfortunately, it put the teams in an awkward position because we're not in a, we're not in a position to go through um, a bargaining thing with collectors. Like, we, you, you just, it's if not they've a, got it's, that amount of money to pay, they can just pay a little bit more. Yeah. So, that, that made it really hard. We were probably concerned. Well, look, we, we thought about it over a year ahead of time. So we were kind of kind of sorted. We you knew, had enough time with how well, long it took them to build I know, them. I know, And we knew, um, so we've always traditionally only purchased, so all our cars have come from Triple Eight. Uh, our VEs when we first started, then when we moved to our VFs, Triple Eight. So we've all, that's who we've always bought our cars from. Um, and we would have done the same thing, uh, but they had, their cars were already all sold. Um, so that wasn't even an option for us. Um, but we knew that we wanted to stick with the Triple Eight product, so that's when we had spoken with Team Eighteen, obviously quite some time ago, and knew that um, we were going to um, get some cars off them. And obviously, we've leased a couple of cars and kind of pieced it all together. But yeah, it was um, a bit of a stressful time, and I think too we had a significant amount of interest at the end of last year um, in uh, people coming to the team. So we really were lucky to be able to be able to get extra cars um to be able to fill we probably to be honest could have filled more seats we would never have wanted to do any more than we we're doing and you're only actually allowed to do a certain number anyway but um the interest was really really high which was awesome for us and for the sport as a as a whole i think you remember i remember you telling me you were saying that we could run 
however many cars we could run, but at the end of the day, we only want to run as many as we can that we can deliver a consistent high standard absolutely. for all drivers. Yep, yeah, absolutely. By the regulations anyway, you're not allowed to run any more than four Super 2 cars, which is what we do. Um, and yeah, it, it's not, uh, people look at us and I get comments all the time like, you're mad running this many cars, what are you doing? Because it's not anybody else that runs, I don't think any more than two at the moment in, in the category. So um, it's just, yeah, being comfortable that we can um, perform, you know, put on the circuit cars that we're 100% happy with and that at the, at the circuit we can run it efficiently and all that kind of stuff. We have always run a higher number of cars um, and really adding another one on or another one on, um, as long as you've got the right people and you've got your processes and your structure, it's not that much, not, no, I shouldn't say not that much more work, but it's just doing the same thing four times or just five times. And you touched on earlier that you have a very consistent staff base. Yep. Motorsport's a pretty high turnover sport in it terms is. of staff. How do you guys manage that? I think, um, as I said, we don't, we have very low staff number at the workshop because um, we're kind of, I, I would say our mentality has always been um, quality over quantity in everything that we do. So, um, you know, I don't think the answer is having 10 or 20 people at the workshop. It's not necessary and as a business, you would make no money anyway. So it's just crazy. Everybody's just got to pull their socks up and work extra hard. And if we do that, we're organized and everything, then we can get the, we can get the work done. Um, we have been really lucky. Um, honestly, we, we've had, the, as I said, the same core staff. And basically when everybody kind of came on, comes on board, they generally don't leave. Um, so we must, be good doing, we must be doing something right. I would say, you know, compared to a lot of teams, or well, not compared to a lot of teams, but we have a, an older crew base probably and our guys um, a lot of the people that are in our team now you know when they were younger maybe used to do main series full-time whether that be an engineer or a mechanic then they've come out of it gone to um, another job or another industry but they still want their motorsport fixed so they come on a weekend and do it and they absolutely love it so um, yeah really really lucky our, our crew is just yeah super loyal they're basically like family now um, and I think for us, you know, it, it allows us to do a better job and a more consistent job because we're not having to teach and train people all the time. And, you know, we, we're always asking for their feedback. We work with them if they've got good ideas about how we should change stuff or whatever, then um, we just all work together. I want to just quickly touch on the Triple Eight Alliance. Yep. You mentioned that that's something that's always been a strong relationship. Yep. How do you guys navigate that? I mean, Triple Eight eventually entered Super Two themselves, yep. but in that, you know, that early phase where you guys would always get the cars and it would follow through and always park in front of their garage yep. in, uh, in you know, in the pit lane things yep. like that. I think it just all came from when we first bought the cars. Um, we created a really good relationship with them then. Um, you know, PD was obviously co-driving with Triple Eight, so we had that link as well. Um, and they, you know, they're just a team that's genuinely interested and keen to see their product perform well. So the one thing that's different 
with Triple Eight to a lot of other teams is that you know their engineering side of their business is huge. I don't, people probably don't realise how big it is. There's not many other teams in Main Series that has as much of a successful engineering business as what they do. And so for them, they want to see their product do well um, because it looks good for them. Then people want to buy their cars. People want to be aligned with them. It's it's a customer based model, which is not something that other main series teams really do. So I think for them, it just kind of worked well. We always got along. Everybody did what they said they were going to do. We, we raced well, we performed well, their product looked good. And um, yeah, it's just gone on for there. Obviously when they ran in, in Super 2 themselves, we probably didn't do as much stuff with them, understandably, um, but they were always still always helpful, always, you know, it wasn't a case of, oh, no, well, we can't talk to you about that because then you might get this. It was never like that. They're just not that, mm. not how they how they operate. It's just about what you do with the information you've got. Um, it's up to us to do, to do the job with it. But a good product is only, like, you could have bought their cars, but if you guys weren't a good team, it, totally. would, have, it would have meant nothing. Yep, absolutely. And that's why we've always been very um, conscious of, there's no point spending that money and buying good cars if you don't follow, you know, the maintenance and the setup. You know, if you if you if you just deviate and think you know better and go and do something else, well, you may as well not go and buy a, a car like that. There's no point doing it. So, let's talk 2023. Yep, bit of a slow start to Super Two. It's, it's June and what round three? Yep, coming up to round three. So four Super Two cars. Yep, Cam Crick. Yep, Jordan Sinney. Yep, Kai Allen. And the returning Cooper Murray, yep. who went and did some really cool things for a while and then kind of disappeared off the face of the earth for a little bit. And now he's popped back up and he's he is. winning races <laughs> and podiuming and all this sort of stuff. How has the season gone so far? It's been good. It's been good. I think, um, obviously, new cars, new drivers. Obviously, Kai and, and Cam come back from last year. Um, but really, really good group. Of, of guys like we've really just reinvigorated everybody I think to be honest um, they are all I don't know how you explain them but they're just a, a group of guys who there's kind of no arrogance or show about them all they just kind of get on with it they know what they've got to do they all want to make a career they know they're representing a team everybody just works really really well together um, so it's been it's been really good. Um, Newcastle was obviously a pretty brutal place to start, to be honest. <laughs> Probably not a not new cars, especially. Yeah, it was it was it was tricky, um, and especially for the guys who were super super rookies, um, really daunting place for them to start. I reckon they all handled it really well, to be honest. Um, yeah, to have to have I guess probably Kai and Cooper primarily. Um, um, towards the front at Newcastle and you know for Cooper to get a pole on a race win in his first ever mm. like that was just a bit unheard of and so cool um, we were stoked and I think we knew we would be competitive this year but then coming out and it happening you know straight away like okay yeah we are going to be competitive we're going to be competitive with multiple cars not just one you know I think um, Gives everyone a pep in their step, reinvigorates everybody, the whole group. Like, oh, okay, we might, we're back. You know, we're back. Mm. We feel a little bit like there was a few years there where it was a bit up and down, um, but I think everyone feels like we're back this year. 
what is the what is the goal for the 2023 season, especially with Townsville this weekend? Definitely the championship. There's no we sh we are in a position that we can win the championship. Um, we obviously Cooper's still second, even after a fairly um, rough Perth, which is we're lucky to got away with that. I think so many people this year in in all teams have had a really up and down first two rounds. So even like, you know, Ryan Wood's a good example. He had a tough mm. Newcastle, further down the points Perth. and then dominated at yeah. Perth. So it's kind of evened itself out um, a little bit with a lot of people who have had issues at one round or another. Um, Kai's obviously a little bit further down, but... It's also his first year in Super yeah, 2. Yeah, and, 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 you know, he was leading that, that race at mm. Perth and then the safety car restart and all that kerfuffle. But, you know... All being equal, I think without that he would have, he probably, he should have won that race and he would have won that race. Um, so that gives us a lot of confidence. But yeah, the, the gap in the points is so little that anything can happen, mm. realistically. And Townsville, touch wood, anything does happen. Um, but I think... Street, Place is wild. Oh, it scares it's me. It scares me. We have fast cars there always, but terrible luck. Um, That's going to change this year. I've spoken to the podcast oh, genies I, I, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I God, I hope so. We do. Really actually, glad. We really deserve it. The galactic change there. I've got to say, we really do. Um, but you know, Coop. It's a Cooper's favourite track. Every time he Carrera Cup, he's dominated oh, he, there. Yeah, so he's really keen to go. Um, all our guys have been fast there. So I think, and and also a triple eight car on a street track is traditionally always very very strong so i think yeah we're really um yeah we're pretty pretty keen to get there this could make or break a lot of people this this I round so. it's a lot of street tracks this year which is always scary um but i think <laughs> yeah it's just you got to get out as i said you got guys are got to be at the front from the get-go because turn two is always a nightmare um and yeah, we've got to make sure we really utilise our practice time on Friday um, and just come out swinging. You know, qualifying, Super 2 really these days is all about qualifying. You have to qualify at the front. You really do. Um, and get yourself out of that mess that sends <laughs> to happen. Pretty much but it's P1 made, yeah. and back. Yeah, qualifying's huge. And, but, you know, with new drivers and rookie drivers having 10 minutes to qualify it's a hard ask. Mm. Leading up to Super 2 in every other category, it's usually like a 20 minute session or whatever. But what we're trying to do in Super 2 <coughs> is replicate what they're gonna get. Hopefully when they graduate to the main series, they have to be able to do it. They have to be able to turn the tire on. They have to know when, it, the car, when, when they're ready to go. Um, and you know, it shows, because the times are so close. Mm. You can be yeah, a 10th and you can be 10th or you can be second so you just have to be on it one final thing i want to touch on before i ask you a couple of standard girls on the grid questions yes. you guys eggleston are a bit of a proving ground for a lot of these young guys who have now made that step up to main game yep. primarily the two you mentioned Brody kostecki and yep. will brown yep how were you know how did eggleston help them move through and now like they've had a, a mega start to the year in those coat cars it is it's so good that something, someone different is winning. But, I know. You know, they, awesome. both, they both come through. Yep. The Eggleston, I don't know, Eggleston, whatever I call whatever it. Whatever we call team, it. Team, cult, yep. I don't know. Yep. 
And then, yeah, what was that period like to now see them succeeding on, on the main game, like, really successfully? I know. Firstly, yeah, it's like a proud parent moment. <laughs> they are like, those two boys are like our other children, and they always will be. They're just such great friends. And they, you know, I guess Will, to begin with, he, when, you know, when PD was with us and, and everything, and I remember it was, a, I think he was 16 at the time. He was hanging around. That's when he was doing 86 and Formula Ford and everything he could get his hands on, and he was hanging around our garage and, oh, I want to get into Super 2. And he just kept hanging around, asking questions, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, right, we're going to give this kid, we'll do an evaluation day with this guy. Um, and one thing that really, you know, impressed us about Will too was even at 16 years old, it was Will Brown coming and seeing Rachel and Ben and saying, I want to drive for you. Not, not Will Brown's parents ringing mm. or anything like that. And we were always very... We find when the driver really wants to do it, they put themselves up. You know, they want to learn how to do it themselves. They put themselves up the front. So we were really impressed with that. Um, so, yeah, he had an evaluation day in the car. And as soon as he got in there, um, we're like, okay, this guy's going to be good. Yep. He was the type of guy that was, he's a very naturally talented driver. He doesn't need to know what setups in the car, all the technical stuff. Don't tell him. He's better off not knowing. He gets in it and he just drives and that's when he performs his best. So, yeah, we got him in pretty green, obviously, and he performed, like, exceptionally well in that first year. You know, he was regularly up the front. Um, and I think just, like, we, you know, people ask us all the time, when are you going to go to main series? Are you going to go to main series? For us, you know, we see, we run it as a business, but we also see, like, we have a responsibility when we get these young guys in for us to teach them how it works, how to drive the car, how to handle all the other stuff, um, and to see them be able to progress is like the most rewarding thing ever. You, you know, you've been a part of getting them to where they're going. Um, it's, it's, it's so cool. Um, and they thoroughly deserve it. And Brody, on the other hand, totally different type of driver to Will. So technical, so unbelievably clever. Um, I don't think there'd be another driver in main series that would know the amount that he knows about the mechanical side of a car or engineering a car. He could basically engineer himself. He, he would just <laughs> drive in, righto, we need to do this, two, this, ten, right, right, right. Like he knew exactly what he wanted in the car. Um, he knew how to change it. He knew, like he was super, super clever. Um, so I, you know, those and, and leading into where they are now, like they're just such a great combination because they've got the best of both worlds and they work so well together. Back when they competed against each other, when Brody was racing with us in 2020 at Adelaide and Will was with, um, was with Image because he was moving on with Erebus obviously to go. And I remember, you know, Brody touched him up, put him in the fan, anyway. They had a bit of a rivalry going on there. Will was like, oh, God, he's so arrogant, isn't he? Is this, is that? And I said, yeah. But Brody's just the most, um, like, dedicated. He, he focuses on one thing. Nothing else matters to Brody. Racing's his life. That's, you know, he'll say to you, that's all. He, he turned up here at the start of 2020 with one bag, and he said, this is it. I'm here. Like, he had nothing, nothing else. Yeah. One bag. He's racing stuff. And he lived with us for, I think, three or four weeks at the start of 2020. And he went and lived at one of my friend's house Yeah, yeah. so he was just like full Slept on gypsy their couch. spec. Yep. Yep. He, lived, he lived with us and, yeah, just working on cars. Car, that, that's his life. He couldn't care about the other stuff. He's not there for, you know, the money. It's just, he's just such a car guy. Um, 
So yeah, watching watching those two now is just the coolest thing. Cause little proud mama. Oh, it's to <laughs> totally, totally. I always, you know, I love it. They after a weekend at the track or after one night, they're driving back in the hire car. They ring me, we're on speakerphone, we're having a debrief on the day or whatever. We're just like such close friends. And I think too, you know, we've always been more than just a race team with the people that we have involved. We're more, we call ourselves, we're more like a family. So the crew's like family, everyone's like family. We're kind of just, um, and maybe that's because, you know, it's a husband and wife type operation, I don't know, but I just think, yeah, we generate this family kind of atmosphere where um, everyone just likes to kind of be around and really enjoys being together. And I did. I know that I said that one last thing, but one, 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 one more last thing. thing. One more last thing. The restoration side of Eggleston Motorsport. Yep. What's what's what are you got going on? I actually shot some photos and videos for you guys for the number nineteen did. car, the yep. one that Valtteri Bottas. Did things too. Thankfully, we sold it prior <laughs> to that moment. He did some bad things to that it car. Wasn't ideal. No. no, doesn't quite understand what a supercar is all about. He was like, "This is great car for burnouts," and Lounsey's like, "No, <laughs> it's really not. Not if you knew how much those engines cost." I know that was frightening. As a car, yeah. As a, is that, did you stand in the corner and block oh, your ears? Oh, it was. Yeah. It, look, it wasn't. As I said to you, I'm thinking that yeah, it's not our car anymore. So I've just got to let it let it go. Um, yeah. That and that that car we raced that in. That was one of our Super Two cars. But when we buy cars, um, we're mindful that you know most people's investments in race cars would go down in value. Um, we kind of look at it in a different way and try and buy cars with history. Uh, use them to race them in the meantime then when we're finished with them we restore them so them, sticker them back up to yeah their, so yep. all our super two cars from last year um or that we've ran over the last however many years the vfs um we will be we've still got them um you know we've got the um we got a Shane Van Gisburn championship winner that we're going to restore. We've, we, you know, we've got a lot of... Um, you don't have to give away all your secrets. Cool Jamie Wynn ca cars. Like, we've got, yeah, lots of stuff. I really, you know... Um, I see a cool Castrol car down there on the hoist, Yeah, too. that's a that's another... That's a customer car, actually. We do a bit, little bit of customer work, um, but the restoration stuff takes a long time, so... Costs a lot of money. Yeah, and just... Um, you know, you can't take on, as I said, we, we kind of keep one or two cars going at a time. We've got a lot of our own projects that we need to do, but we kind of keep just like pushing those to the side. And um, a lot of um, really cool um, old HRT stuff as well, which is which is a big part of our resto side of our business. So, um, yeah, hopefully over the next little while, we'll start kind of dribbling some stuff out. But it's always long. They're long projects. So they've all got to be done so to the Yeah, yeah, and we're really particular. Like Ben, as I said, Ben especially, that's probably his true love <laughs> is the um, is the history side of the sport. And so restoring the cars and, you know, we have a huge amount of history in cars, but also we've taken a lot of time buying a lot of um, old records from back in the day and HRD stuff so, you know, so that we can have... Um, we know what gearbox was in the car when that car won Bathurst. We know what engine was in it, so we locate that. We make sure we get all the right stuff so we've got matching numbers. Um, you know, that stuff's all really important as well. So, yeah, that's a that's a big part of the business, which we don't really probably publicise very much, but um, there's still always a lot going on. 
Okay, now I won't ask anymore. I said last, last, last That's question. Right. But your advice for women who want to get into the sport, category yep. management, yep. media, any just the, the sport, the sport as a whole, we're all a massive big family. And like yep. I was at Girls on Track Sydney on the weekend and there were 60 girls there That's who awesome. all had some kind of idea or thought or knew that yep. they wanted to be a part of some area of this crazy yep. world we live in. What's your piece of advice for those girls who are, most of them are probably listening to this pod now, that's the majority of our audience. Yep. How do they do it? How do they become a Rachel Eggleston? How do they become a category manager? How do they become the control freak of, of the motorsport world? <laughs> Look, I think passion's probably the number one thing. If you're passionate about something, I think that's the number one thing to me. I look at just as a bit of a side thing. You know, we have recently taken on a couple of apprentices. It's not something that we've done before. Um, and I look at, you know, we get, I, I would get two emails, of, well, multiple emails a week from people wanting to get a job or get into the sport. Um, and there's never that many, it's hard. There isn't as many, it's, it is hard to get in. I agree with that. Um, but, you know, I, I always say to our guys, like our new apprentices and anyone looking to get in, I would, as a business owner, I far prefer and would pick someone who has passion over someone that may have more skill at that particular time. Because if you're passionate, I can't teach you how to be passionate about something, but I can teach you everything else you need to know. But if you don't have the passion, you can do it. You're not that passionate about it, but you can do it. You're not gonna last because you won't last the long hours and all the other stuff that comes with it. So passion's the number one thing, I think. Um, and then, well, it's understanding that it's not always gonna be glamorous. And I think sometimes that people think motorsport is a more glamorous sport than what it is. We <laughs> oh, both know they. that it's not, it's not, what everybody you know sees on TV. There's a lot of hard work that goes in behind the scenes, a lot of long hours and all that kind of stuff. It's getting your foot in the door. I think that's probably the hardest part um, is finding a way to get your foot in the door. And that probably takes you know offering to volunteer or can I tag along? Is there anything I can do? Whatever it takes, just getting your foot in the door. Um, and honestly, if you can get your foot in the door and work super hard, show your passion, if, you're, if people see that and they can see that you're going to work really hard and you're going to put in, you'll make it, I think. What about what's next for Eagleston Motorsport? That's a great question. Put you on the spot here. <laughs> Wrap it up. Look, to be honest, I think, you know, it's been a big change period buying the new cars and going through all that. It's a big, massive investment. Um, buying new cars, tooling up again, new parts, blah, blah, blah. So to be honest, when you go through that, you kind of need to get in and almost just settle a little bit and let it all, let everyone, you got to catch up again because the start of the year, like the end of last year, the start of this year, you're just, you know, running on adrenaline really, just trying to get everything in line. Um, but I think, yeah, just getting back to, we want to get back to being the number one Super 2 team. It's a tricky one because, you know, when the main series teams, they all were out of it for a while, then they all came back into it the last couple of years. And for a team like us, um, you know, naturally people look and go, oh, well, um, 
a main series team, I've got better chance of getting a co-drive or something. So you're always, you're always going to get that. And yep. we totally get that. But if we can put the best car and the best package on the track, then naturally people will, will come to us. And I think it's shown too that doesn't matter um, whether you're in with a main series team or not, if you perform on the track, no matter who you're with, someone's going to, at the end of the day, you're going to make it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you look at now in main series, I think it's the coolest thing. The podiums this year have primarily been Will Brody and Brock Feeney. Like mm. amazing. Young kids Young that were in people. Super 2 and two, two years ago. I feel like main series has so, for so long been going with a safer set of hands. We need to make sure we've got people consistent. They keep going with the same kind of guys. And I feel like you know, kudos to um, Erebus for taking on two young guys. And we knew they both had it in them and we knew they'd always be successful. Um, but I guess a lot of people looked at it and gone, oh, sh you know, that, that's a pretty risky thing to do. Um, but hats off to them because it's paid off and they've given them a shot. And I think, you know, they're Erebus, they've got a, like a true racer mentality. I think that's kind of how they, how they operate. Um, you know, and it and it's worked, and I think um, I think it's great. It's so good for the sport to see young people, and I hope that more of the team owners look um, more positively towards the younger guys and take a bit more of a chance on them. Yes, they're gonna might make some mistakes and all that kind of stuff, but um, they're hungry and they're bloody fast. And it's only now for Erebus that they've really taken that step. Like Will and Brody, like. Couple, like what two years ago I think it was they first started Erebus had their teething pain yep. with with the two rookies and I think Betty come out on the record and said like we knew that this yep that this was to be expected but now they're reaping the, the rewards of that absolutely. trust that they that they put in them yeah absolutely and I know too it's a commercial world as well like team sponsors would you know maybe have results driven you know KPIs and all that kind of stuff so that's hard as well um but I think it will give people a lot more confidence to look down um, at the Super 2 field and go, well, this is where the breeding ground is. This is where they're coming from. Um, and yeah, give more young guys a go. Well, on that note, Rachel Eggleston, thank you for joining me for episode 50... Oh. Something. 50 something. It's me and you. It's like you with your wedding, <laughs> wedding anniversary. 50 something. I might even cut this into two parts because it's been a it's really great long. chat. It's been a good one. It the has. good ones are the long ones. That's right. Maybe it's episode 57, 58. Maybe it's episode something, something. If you remember your wedding anniversary, I'll remember what episode it is. I still don't remember <laughs> what day it is. That's okay. That's okay. I don't know what episode it is. So it's all good. But thank you for joining me. No worries. Thanks for having me. And that concludes our two-part chat with Rachel Eggleston, one of my favorites, and I thank you all for listening. Now, it's been a while since Priya and I have been here doing this chatty thing together, but we are both, oh, I feel like a broken record, but we're both off, off doing our thing, and we are both so grateful that we have the ability to be, you know, full-time videographers within the motorsport industry and... In saying that, we both work for different companies, so we're both off doing different things at different times, but we have put it together a plan. We are both going to get our bums back in the podcasting seat together, and we really hope to just continue bringing you guys chats with people who inspire us. 
yeah, that's really as simple as it is. We don't have much of a schedule. We don't have much of a plan, but we're just doing this for the love of it. And we thank every single one of you who come on this journey with us. In saying that, uh, I think it's time to wrap up this podcast. I'll get back to editing videos and you guys listen to whatever other podcast you want to listen to. And yeah, appreciate you guys hanging out with me. See you. You've just listened to another Network R production. 